All right, all right, all right, all right. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Off the Bench, Brandon Carney, alongside Pat Gustafson. And uh, Pat, we uh, we got some things to talk about. Any, anything interesting happened over the last few days? I, I mean, I... Did you do anything fun on Monday night or anything like that? Nah, I mean, I, I was in Houston. It was a little warm. Uh, there was there was some kind of basketball game going on, but uh, I wasn't. No, UConn men's basketball is the 2023 national champions, and it doesn't even feel real to say. Guys, if you're listening to this on audio, you won't be able to see this, obviously, but... I was challenged before the tournament started by uh, Ben, who works here at Heavy, to wear a different UConn shirt as long as we were in the tournament. And it feels great to be able to cap that off by wearing a national champion shirt that I picked up on my way out of the stadium. All I can say is, what a run. And this team... Look, I've seen a few UConn national championships. I've seen a few championship games. None in person up until this one, but... Pat, this team, I think, may get looked back on as maybe the most dominant of all the UConn championship teams, and at the very least, the most well put together. I mean, I I start thinking about just the construction of this roster, right? And you've got Sonogo, who everything runs through him. Then you've got shooters all around him with Calcaterra and even Naheem Aline at the end of the year, Alex Caravan, obviously, and then Tristan Newton. Of all people, I, I have to say, in hindsight, and after that game especially, Tristan Newton was the major difference, I think, that took this team from being just very good to championship. Because we needed that guy to hold it down at the point, be able to make shots too and keep defenses honest. He was one of our best three-point shooters down the stretch. And Tristan Newton, like, we're so used to these UConn championship teams in the past being led by their point guards. He did his best impression of, you know, Baz Kemba. Obviously never had to take over a game because his team was built differently, but... For him to do what he did and help this team finish it off, I just I'm in awe. What a what an absolutely wild run for the Huskies. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean to, to go on Newton too, you know, there was a lot of pressure on this guy. Like you said, you know, UConn, especially in the last decade, Kemba Walker, Shabazz Napier, Ryan Boatwright, it's point guard, point guard, point guard. And he was Dan Hurley's big get in the transfer portal. And yeah. there were times in the year where they go where people are saying that, oh, they don't have a true point guard, and that's what's gonna hold this team back. But, you know, he's just silenced all the doubters. And, I mean, we've been seeing him for four years, you know, way back when in the American days yeah. he was in East Carolina as a true freshman. Um, you know, the, the kid just does a little bit of everything, and he didn't have to, you know, uh, he didn't have to be the guy that took over. And he fit perfectly into that role. And like you said, the, the their ability to space the floor was like nothing I've ever seen. You know, Sonogo's yeah. a guy that needs space. Andre Jackson's a guy that needs space. And every single person around them, maybe except Donovan Klingon, of course, too, could could get that space for them and it, it was just uh dan hurley master class all year long just just impossible to defend and then defending incredibly well themselves you just again when you follow a team so closely like you and i have all year you see the downs you see the lows and you worry that those can come back and bite you or at the very least they may temper expectations because you know what this team can fall back to but i feel like in hindsight now yukon's lows were not all that low. Like, yeah, you know, winning a super close game against a bad team like Georgetown's a bad look. Losing to St. John's at home is a bad look. But we look around the Big East and we see just pretty much quality teams top to bottom. And it really just 
strengthen them, I feel like, heading into the tournament. These other teams, a team like a Houston, probably would have ran into more speed bumps if they were in a conference like the Big East, but instead, they didn't play a ranked team for three months, and look what happened to them. A team like Purdue, the Big Ten, you know, as much as they have decent teams, they tend to do this thing where they choke in the tournament. I feel like just being in the Big East in itself helped UConn so much, and look, there's something to be said for it. Did you ever see that uh, weird little stat about like a ton of champions over the past several years have been top 10 in the week six AP poll? Have you ever seen that? No, that's incredibly specific. Yeah, it's a it's a long running thing. I don't know exactly how many champions it is, but like that's the week specifically that people point to. And looking back now, it makes sense because that is before conference play. It's before you run into you know teams that know you well and you have to kind of grind it out against them. But that's a time where you're facing good teams on neutral courts. UConn, when they did that early in the season, that's what they were doing. That's when they were steamrolling, and that's when they got up to number two in the country. You get back into the NCAA tournament, that's what you're doing again. You're playing good teams on neutral courts, and UConn just showed that you know what we saw early in the season was who they were, and running into some good teams in the Big East was just what made it scary for a little bit, but you know, I guess maybe we put too much stock into that and got a little too worried. This team hit their stride at the perfect time. There's multiple NBAers on this team, and just the makeup of this team was insane. Um, I want to talk first. My personal experience just at the game was wild. The seats I had, I was lucky enough to just be surrounded by UConn royalty, and it felt it felt unreal. Like, I'm looking around. Kemba Walker is literally two feet in front of me, and then I look to my right, and there's just Rudy Gay, Ray Allen, Emeka Okafor, Charlie Villanueva. I mean, guys who were... Um, or Jeremy Lamb was there. Like, guys who were not necessarily even big names in UConn history. It was just... They all came along with the big names and made just a giant UConn reunion. It was so cool to see. Uh, it was like, it felt like a second coronation for a team that, you know, since 1999 has proven themselves, but kind of had to prove themselves again after the stretch that we gone through, we went through since 2014. Uh, it was, it was amazing seeing all those guys so hyped. And then of course, uh, you know, unfortunately I wasn't the biggest TikTok star there. Dixie D'Amelio was also there literally two seats next to me, which I thought was funny. I had one of those moments like while I was, you know, when I, after I got home, like, Oh, a video I should have done. I don't like bothering celebrities in general in person, but after the fact I was like, man, it would have been really funny if I made a video like, you know, we got all these great UConn athletes from from the past here, but at least I'm the biggest TikTok star. Pan to her, be like, shit. But look, I, I may see her again. Look, the D'Amelio family, for those that don't know, are all from Connecticut. Mark is like one of the biggest supporters of the team. Mark being the, uh, Charlie and Dixie's dad. So uh, for anybody confused as to why the D'Amelios were at a UConn title game, that's why. So hopefully, uh, you know, we'll be able to run into people like that again. Bill Murray was there as he always was. Uh, but yeah, just an, an amazing game. Well worth the uh, quick turnaround I had coming from LA from WrestleMania. I think I slept two and a half hours the night before, but look, I slept uh, about 13 hours yesterday and we are back at it. So we are back at back uh, at the podcast game. So Pat, I want to look ahead to next year a little bit. Um, UConn is already the betting favorite uh, to win the title again, but obviously, I mean, that's kind of just the uncreative thing that people tend to do after a team wins a title. They're like, oh, cool, now they're the favorite to win next year. What a surprise. Um, but what I'm curious to see, and it's not really worth making a prediction right now because we just don't know what these guys are thinking, but as of as far as who can return next year, 
from this UConn championship team, only one player is fully out of eligibility, and that is graduate Joey Calcaterra, who I will miss greatly. His dagger threes that he seemed to hit for basically all season outside of the month of January were amazing. Um, I'll remember him forever, but he's the only one that's out of eligibility. At the same time, UConn has five freshmen coming in, at least three of whom are expected to get solid playing time next year. So this roster is going to look a lot different next year. I'm very curious to see what happens to the likes of Tristan Newton, Naheem Aline, who were both honored on senior day, but do have a year left, um, and just kind of the turnover that this roster is going to have. It's going to be a very different looking UConn team, no matter how you cut it next year. Yeah, I was going to say as well, you know, looking looking through the whole roster, you know, they need to create five scholarships and most likely three rotation spots. And, you know, looking at this group of 13 scholarship guys, not going to say it's all going to happen, but I could see any 11 of them possibly not being there. The only two guys that I truly believe like 100% will be on this team next year are Alex Caravan and Donovan Kling in there too. Mm-hmm. Our freshmen. Because, you know, like you said, you look at Newton and Aline, those are the, they've got a COVID year. They've played four years of basketball. Maybe they right. want to move on with their lives. Or maybe sure. Hurley knew that, like, this was a one-year deal and that, you know, they'll move on. Um, they honored Richie Springs on... Uh, Our boy. Uh, I'm so glad he got a ring, man. Uh, I'm so know, glad. I, after three years of everything, like, oh, this is the year Richie Springs finally gets some minutes. You know, I give that kid some credit. Anytime they honor someone on senior day who is not a senior, they're gone. So, you yeah. know... Glad he got that championship. Hope you can go. Maybe stay in Connecticut, Richie. Go to New Britain. Go to Central Connecticut. Right. They, can, they love you there. He's too good for that. But um, <laughs> well, that should free one up. And then you look at, you know, I think Andre Jackson will be back. You know, he's I do too. He's a guy who's going to play in the league. But he, he's made it seem like, oh, four, you know, I'm here off for four years. Yeah. But I think it's more so the fact that he really needs to develop his jump shot more. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I still think he's going to make the league regardless of his jump shot. Or not yeah. Because Definitely. You know, being six seven and the guy can guard anyone on the floor, and he's such a good passer. This whole team, which is incredible passers, but especially him, and it was so big that he could basically be the backup point guard. You know, you yeah. could have a really strong offensive lineup out there with Jackson running the point, as opposed to a guy like Newton or Aline or Hassan Diara, and even like Diara. You know, he's a guy that his brother's an assistant coach, uh, former UConn mama dude. Yep. Um, Maybe he'll be content with just sort of, you know, kind of playing a reserve role. Or right. you, again, you don't know. We don't know these kids. And same thing with Samson Johnson, a guy who top top yeah. one hundred recruit two years ago, starts at the four game one, breaks his foot, and then he's an afterthought. Right. You no, know, again, we don't you know, we don't know. Is he gonna try and move on? But you look at it again, they don't have a lot of bigs coming in next year. So there's a realistic chance that Samson Johnson could slot right back into that rotation. Yeah. And same. No, no matter what Jordan Hawkins says about we're coming for six next year, I would be stunned if he is back next year. The kid oh, might man. be a lottery pick. If Jordan Hawkins returns next year, the entire country is going to be on notice because if, if this team returns – it's almost entire starting lineup, save for Tristan Newton, who I feel like Newton will probably go somewhere just because he knows Stefan Castle's coming in, and that's probably was the plan from the beginning. But if, if the starting lineup next year is Castle, Jackson, Caravan, Hawkins, and Sonogo, uh, the country's going to be angry. So, no, I think I think Hawkins is probably on his way out. I want to see the kid go to the league. I think uh, massive potential for him. I was talking to a few friends about him the other day, and it's like, you know, one of them said, I don't want to see him end up like James Booknight, and I'm like, his shoe 
shooting is too elite for that to happen. His Jordan Hawkins in the NBA, his floor is Duncan Robinson and his ceiling is Clay Thompson. Like that that's where he's at. So he's going to be a rotation player no matter what he does. I've, I've heard the same comparisons to Book Knight and you look at the difference is that Hawkins is a much better defender. He's a much better playmaker. Yeah. And it seems a lot of Book Knight's problems have been more off-court things, you know, not getting along with coaches, just not drilling. Right. You know, it's been disappointing to see that, but I, I don't think you can compare those two. Hawkins is just such a good athlete. And he's just such a good shooter, and he can create off the dribble. I just I can't see a situation where he ends up like Book Knight. No, I would agree. Uh, but look, overall, I'm so excited to be sitting here and talking about a fifth national championship for UConn. I just a few weeks ago, you know, this was one of the teams that was talked about as a dark horse. The, the little Ken Palm rules and stuff said we had a chance, and so you know, it's not a complete shock. But for us, uh, for this to come to fruition after just what we've seen for the last decade or so is is wild and uh i don't think you can really argue that this is a blue blood program anymore and i'm i'm excited more about that than anything that this is not like the it's not like a tier one and then a tier two that has only us in it historically speaking and then you know everybody else we've we're up in that tier one whether north carolina or duke or kansas fans like it or not that's just it's where we are to do it three times in 24 years with three successive head coaches is is incredible it is truly truly incredible and credit goes to all you know all those guys do it throughout this time throughout the last decade too of the of the dark ages to get back here the, right. one more thing i want to mention with yukon i i feel like this is sort of the elephant in the room or the adama sonogo in the room is like what ends up what excuse me where he ends up next year mm-hmm. because you look at it from the perspective of he's got another year probably not going to make it in the league in general you know the days of the undersized big who's gonna play his heart out and be really physical is over you know in in, to to be a five in the nba you need you either need to have elite height and be a great rim protector or you need to be able to stretch the floor and shoot and he unfortunately he just doesn't have either of those fantastic player i mean you look at oscar shibway who's probably the best player in the country and he's gonna come back again presumably Mm -hmm. because he's just not gonna cut it in the league so that's all well and good if Sonogo decides to stay. Is there room for him on this team next year? Spe- specifically looking at it from the perspective that him and Donovan Klingon both need the floor space that each other cannot provide. It was so rare that the two of them were on the court at all this year because it just it didn't work from a spacing mm-hmm. standpoint, especially with how much they emphasize spacing. Donovan Klingon's their guy. You know, scouts have said that whenever this guy's ready for the league, he's going to the league. You know, Connecticut-grown kid. If he's their future, could we realistically see Adama Sonogo at another school next year? Oh, man. Don't even say that. No, I. it's a valid question. Um, I, I've been reading similar things about, like, you know, Klingon, as much potential as he's shown, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for him to be a 15-minute-a-game player again next year. Um, and that's not in his best interest. So it almost seems like one of them has to go or there needs to be a different sort of rotation or you figure out how to make them both work in the same lineup. Sonogo can step out and shoot when he is wide open, uh, but here's the problem is that a lot of the time Sonogo stepping out to do that is to open up for, you know, later in the shot clock for him to go back to the paint, which is where Klingon can't be anywhere but down there. So, you know, whoever's guarding Klingon will help off of him completely and leave him open at the three-point line if he wants to try and space that way. And then Sonogo's going to be dealing with two guys on him all game. That's something that we managed to avoid this year because of all the shooters surrounding him. So it's a valid question. 
and like you're they'd have to make one of those guys someone they're not like almost like what the thunder did with Demonte Sabonis in the early career like they tried to make him into a, a shooter to spread the floor for Russ and it just didn't work and now we've yeah. seen what kind of player he can be you know I would hate to see them st- try and stagnate Donovan Klingon just for the sake of accommodating Sonogo and especially you look at they've yeah. got a you know they've got a seven foot freshman coming and obviously a lot right. of these a lot of these freshmen are really rough and rugged and raw and it takes time to develop and like we said we've you know they've got samson johnson who could step into that i, I tr- if i had to guess right now where adama sonogo is next year i'm guessing he's playing college basketball somewhere else as sad as really that, as much as i hate that if i had if i if i had to put money down on it right now i would say he's playing at another school next year oh man i hope not i i feel like sonogo i i find it hard to believe that uconn would push him out no matter what the other interests are i feel like there's a lot of things that can happen here. Look, it's not completely out of the question that Donovan Klingon goes to the draft. Obviously, he has a lot to develop from a footwork standpoint, from an offensive scoring standpoint, but that is something he could theoretically develop in the league. He's already getting you know comparisons defensively to a guy like Walker Kessler, and we've seen defensively every time this dude was in the game, like you were not getting to the paint. It was really a sight to see. So look, I, I have no idea. It's definitely a weird situation. I do think that another season of Klingon in the teens for minutes is is dicey and not the best for his development. And I don't feel like Klingon is the type of guy to transfer given his connection to the state of Connecticut as a whole. Um, so it's going to it's gonna be crazy. I, I But at the same time, Sonogo transferring just seems like an a alternate universe type of thing. So, and, it's, and, you know, Jeff Goodman, you know, take this with a grain of salt, you know, how, however reliable mm-hmm. you want to have Jeff Goodman is. He said that, um, you know, that the transfer portal hasn't hit its full, full steam yet. And he said it could even be someone on the court on Monday night that yeah. could join the transfer portal. And that just makes me think, like, oh, like yeah. I hope it's not Sonogo. But just from a logistical standpoint i I just don't know how it's gonna work and i hate it because what what a what a great guy he is and just such a such a likable guy this whole team was just so there was nothing incredible personalities guys just i know such a fun group and you know it's almost like i want time to because i just want this to you know unravel you know i need the few weeks to go by i need to see the steps being put together for next year yeah, hopefully these guys can all return and we can and we can make it work somehow because uh, look, these guys have endeared themselves to UConn fans' hearts for literally forever. Like we will not forget this roster. You win a championship, that's your reward. Is that you go down in history? You're going to be on the pictures. You're going to be some of the, some of these guys will have their pictures put up uh, in the practice facility in stores when they get drafted. So uh, you know it, it's an exciting time for Connecticut and uh, look basketball capital of the world back on the map baby so let's go uh we got some thoughts about the rest of the ncaa tournament as well look i want to give a shout out to san diego state they did make me very nervous at a point in that game when they cut it to five and they just kept ripping the ball away from uconn i was getting quite nervous because that was the biggest probably second half scare that uconn's had all tournament long um the rest of the any any sort of stress we had was basically first half against uh, Iona and first half against St. Mary's. Other than that, UConn was pretty much in control all tournament. And so for San Diego State to you know get to this stage and make a game of it, despite what the final score says, and UConn won by like 17, um, but it was still a, a great fight for a team that stuck to their identity of being just a defensive menace. And look, this tournament as a whole was amazing. I want to give a shout out here to our bench warmer bracket pool winners. So we've got, I said the top 10 would win uh, heavy gift cards and we actually do have we don't know tiebreakers needed um so we will get some merch out there as well with podcast logos if you guys want to rep that but here's our top 10 we got michael 
Michael J17, Sal, Kyle Barry Yukon, actually trying, Shutwell, Deck Gang, M Tromelin 18, Basketball Bracket, Schwammy, and Oral Robber. So you guys are the top 10. Only one of the top 10 did not have Yukon as their national champion. So and it was number 10, and that's only because there was not another bracket in the pool that had Yukon as a champion. What happened to the other guy whose name was like Yukon Sucks? I thought he was Oh, the yeah, the guy with the guy with Kansas as his champion. Yeah, you know, that's uh that's a tough scene. Let's see where he ended up if i can uh find him oh let's may have to go next page uh you know i will probably be here all day if i try to look for this uh so i'm not going to i finished i finished 69th nice overall um but look that's out of 219 and given how ridiculous this year was i'll take it i'll take it 50 percent is, is is a win for me in a situation like uh, yeah having uconn in my final four at least helped i think uh the bracket overall oh my bracket actually finished 76 percentile you know i'm not upset with that given uh just absolute chaos of this tournament um all right no i don't blame you ne- neither have i that's why i'm surprised at this percentage because i have not kept up with it um outside of the men's tournament we've got the women's tournament that came to a close in interesting fashion um the final four took took on a life of its own i was loving watching caitlin clark throughout this tournament and for her to upset south carolina first of all loved that because i'm just an active south carolina hater i did not want them to have an undefeated season uh no no real dislike to the program but just as a yukon guy you don't want to see these top programs get a you know get it get too much to their head and i was worried that that would happen with an undefeated championship season for south carolina but caitlin clark going crazy dropping 40 points like it's nothing every other night then we get to the championship Pat, what were your thoughts on the championship game? And we could talk about two thing, two or more things here, but there was the Caitlin Clark-Angel Reese beef, and then also the officiating of this game was a major headline. You know, and, I, and that's unfortunate because both of those storylines have taken away from what was such a great tournament and such a great final game. Obviously, again, the score didn't indicate it. But the way LSU went out there and basically dominated um, the team with the best player in the country that just took down the juggernaut, was so impressive, especially with Angel Reese in foul trouble for that whole second quarter. Thank you again to the officials um, who just swallow the whistle, man. No one's there yeah. to watch you. No. no one is there to watch you. Like, I thought the UConn game was excellently officiated. You know, they let him play. They, there was nothing. There was no calls where I was really like, what? Or, but the, the, And then the tech, the tech on Caitlin Clark. My God. Just. Yeah. N- just officials absolutely making it about themselves. And that. That just helps nobody. Um, it, it's a bummer way to end the season for them because I think Kaitlyn Clark's run to the championship got more eyes on the sport. And then it's like as soon as you get eyes on the sport, you drown it out like that. And it, it was unfortunate to see. Uh, but look, overall, this tournament, I think, was amazing for women's college basketball. Women's college basketball is one sport that I just wish could get a little more steam and a little more respect because, you know, Maybe it's because I, I grew up watching UConn and, and went to UConn while the women were, you know, in the midst of a couple of championship runs and putting together Final Four runs every year. Uh, but, guys, these girls can play. Like, I, I understand if you want to tune in and just see ridiculously fast play and dunks and big, strong dude. But, like, if you are truly a fan of just the game of basketball and the technical aspects of it and appreciate good ball movement, great shooters, great playmaker, like, they have all of that. Just because most of them can't dunk does not take away from the quality of the sport. And I think Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese both proved that. And guess what? 
The best part about it, Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese will both be back next season. So they're going to be able to bring people into the sport who remember these girls' names. They are not eligible for the WNBA draft yet. WNBA draft has a rule where you have to be at least turning 22 um, in the year that you are trying to enter the draft. Neither Clark nor Reese will have that happen. Um, And let me just say the 2024 next year's WNBA draft is going to be loaded because it's got those two. It's got uh, Paige Beckers, Haley Van Lith from Stanford. There's a bunch of, there's a litany of names there that are going to enhance Paige Beckers coming back is going to throw her hat right into the best player in the country conversation. And like you said, if you just like the way that college is different from the NBA, there's a difference between women's basketball and men's basketball, but Mm -hmm. you just have to look at it for what it is. And what it is is just these, hyper talented hyper competitive girls who are out there just it, it's it's so much fun and the fact that it's now on ab the fact that it's on abc the championship the most watched championship game ever is is just great for the sport especially seeing the men's tournament had the least watched final right in the history of the sport so it's definitely trending in the right direction but it's, i i would love for it to catch um to catch that steam and then you know just to touch on a little bit of the of the beef quote unquote beef um, the fact that we're talking about this is ridiculous. You even have to bring this up as ridiculous because the people who had a problem with this are worthless. The Dave Portnoy's, the Keith Olbermans. Mm-hmm. No one cares what they have to say at all. But obviously, you have to come to their defense. And it was great to see Caitlin Clark go on ESPN and come to Angel Reese's defense. Yeah. This was just a, a ridiculous, ridiculous thing. Let them talk trash. Let them be in the heat of the moment, be competitive. It, it's just a stupid conversation um, started by stupid people. Yeah, and so many people that just don't care about women's basketball otherwise too. It's like your first time talking about this sport all season is because you're angry about some sort of sportsmanship thing that just means absolutely nothing. Um, it's a big nothing burger, 1,000%. And uh, I think Overall, it'll hopefully just do more good for the sport than anything. You see these girls have personalities. They are competitive. They want to win. Um, and there's there's stars all around the women's game, and I, I hope people realize that. So, look, congratulations to LSU. Uh, despite the officiating, uh, it's hard to say that they didn't still deserve the championship. Uh, they, they won convincingly, dropped 102 points, I think it was, which ridiculous for any level of basketball these days. Uh, so good for them. And, uh, yeah, congrats to LSU. The only thing I, I would say is uh, it's unfortunate Kim Mulkey had to win a title, but whatever. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have to talk about her. She's just, uh, you know, not the best. But the players, congrats to the players. All right, another sport that we've got, Pat. Since the last time we spoke, this sport tipped off. Well, tipped off. Wrong sport an analogy there but mlb opening week occurred uh so we've got baseball fully underway we'll probably be talking about that a little more over the next few weeks but pat what were your first impressions from opening week i was in stupid la so i couldn't really follow baseball all that much i'm getting notifications for my yankees and my fantasy team and i know the rays are six and oh but outside from that for somebody who was watching a little bit closer over the past week uh what are your takeaways you know i think the biggest takeaway from the first week is just pitching 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 these teams that everyone fit thought would be very good are not because of their pitching. Like you look at the, the three worst ERAs in the league, it's the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, and the Phillies. Three teams who have at least some talent. I mean, the Red Sox don't have that much showing a bit of bias again, but the, the Phillies, you can put all these hitters you want in that lineup, but you can't fix pitching like that. And then the, the Blue Jays have been so disappointing, you know, uh, Guy, um, uh, Kevin Gossman getting lit up. Or was it Gossman? I don't even know. Don't don't take my word for it there. But <laughs> somebody got lit up bad, and mm. Manoa did too. But then you look at the Rays, who come out there and just pull these guys out of nowhere, like Shane McClanahan and Jeff Springs and Drew Rasmussen. 
you know, a couple of these guys were outcasts and the fact that, you know, they honed them to their system and it works and it works. And then you look at the Brewers, you know, Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Willie Peralta, Willie Peralta, Freddie Peralta. <laughs> Willie Peralta, the legend. He's, he's still, I think he's in the national system. Shout out Willie. Peralta. Oh my God. Did not expect him to come up today, but you see it. And then the Astros with Framber Valdez and, and Christian Javier, you know, it, these are these teams that don't go out there and make these huge splashes mm-hmm. in free agency or trades. These are teams that build guys up from within, find the scrap heap from the other team. You know, runs, runs are crazy. I think it was Sunday where it was like the overs were 13 and two. Like if you bet all the overs, so teams oh, wow. are going to hit. So it's like, you need to pitch. You need to yeah. pitch so far. And and shout out Sandy Alcantara, stud. Mm-hmm. game shout out last night. An incredibly old-fashioned guy who could go the whole distance and yet still be an analytics darling. Shout out Sandy. Absolutely. And look, just from a, from a Yankees perspective, I've, I'm very excited. Anthony Volpe got named starting shortstop. I just want to give a shout out to him. Uh, also dominating for my fantasy team in the stolen base category. The guy just robs one every time he's on. But overall, Pat, I think my takeaway from the first week, uh, you know, from somebody who wasn't watching the games closely, but just kind of following things, it seems like the, uh, the pitch clock and the new rules and such are, are mostly a good thing. I mean, they've taken down the game's total time, which was their end goal all along. And it's helping a lot. We had a game, I believe it was Sandy Alcantara's start that went, I believe, an hour and 57 minutes. Uh, that's unheard of for a baseball game that's not, you know, the classic seven-inning game that we've gotten used to sometimes. Uh, so wild for a nine-inning game to be under two hours. And I think people are going to get frustrated seeing pitch clock violations and strikeouts on it. We had Manny Machado getting ejected because of it the other day. Uh, so, you know, it, there's going to be growing pains. But all I can say is it's for the best going forward. Players will get used to it. There's no reason to be Nomar Garcia parring, you know, Velcro every five seconds in between at-bats and just taking so much time. It's going to be better for the game overall, and I I promise these players will get used to it. It's going to be awkward for now, but it'll be all right. Absolutely. You know, I've always, as soon as this became like an option, like as soon as they, as soon as they introduced this in the minors, I was always been a proponent of this Mm. because if you can make this game faster and more presentable to fans without affecting the integrity of the game, you've got to do it. And it still feels like the same game. Like you're not watching this and being like, Oh, this pitch clock is ruining my enjoyment. Like you said, who wants to see, especially guys strike out, but they'll get used to it just like the minor leaguers did. But overall, yeah. I, I think that it is just such a such a good thing. And I love, you know, I but I was not a fan of banning the shift because that is mm-hmm. the integrity of the game. You know, like teams found a strategy to get an advantage. They should be allowed to do that. I'm not a fan of that. But that said, singles are up, batting averages up, runs are up. Fine. You know, like, yeah. it, though I'm not a fan of the rule itself, what's come of it has been good. And the stolen bases have been awesome as well, you know, from the lack of pickoffs and that, like, I think the the Orioles are going to steal like a thousand bases this year. Yeah. Like it's, it's just in a league where no one runs anymore. We're going to start seeing guys running again. And that's going to put a lot more emphasis on the catchers too. Uh, It's, uh, you know, like I said, I don't like the shift rule, but I like the execution of everything. So far I'm liking what I'm seeing. Yeah, it's added a lot more action to the game and in a lot shorter of a time, which is exactly what I think we need at this point. Um, Baseball has kind of struggled with, you know, lower attention spans, which is a human thing, but also 
an issue you have to adapt to. And I think they're doing their best. I'm excited now that college basketball is over, uh, you know, to sit down and watch some baseball here over the next few weeks and uh, really delve into kind of the new rules and the new feel of the game and just how much quicker of a pace it is. So no, I think definitely a good thing overall. And I'm excited to see where it goes going forward. Also, one thing I was looking at baseball stats just to kind of brush up. How's Brian Reynolds leading the league in home runs before? I was I was just like browsing the stats and I'm like, why? What? That is the weirdest hit, person to see. Hit two at Fenway on, on Monday. Okay. Okay. That makes sense, I guess. You got to stack them up in one game because I'm like, this guy's not a home run hitter. And I'm just, I was so confused. I figured I'd see some usual suspects. Granted, it is early in the year. So you're going to get guys that have hot starts and then tail off. Uh, but still, just very odd to see. Same another Brian, Brian Anderson, you know, not yeah, just by the Marlins. And yeah. Passion, which is the most Marlins thing ever to get right. by such a mediocre franchise. Then he's just raking, you know. That's, yeah. Just batting over 500, I believe. I expected to be very good. And I still don't expect them to be very good in the long run. But, you know, hey. Good on him. Yeah, so we'll definitely be talking about more baseball here in the weeks to come as the season kind of settles in. But we also are obligated here on Off the Bench to talk about any major NFL news that happens. Uh, By the way, just want to advertise this real quick. We will have an NFL draft show coming up for the NFL draft. We're planning to do probably just the first round, um, but it'll be for the duration of the first round. You guys can tune in, be it on Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, wherever it ends up being. Just keep it locked and we will uh, keep you guys posted. But I think streaming during the draft is a... will be a good time to be able to react to these picks in real time and and discuss them. And, you know, especially with a lot of these potential transactions and trades that are kind of hinging on the draft and that the draft may affect, you know, whether it changes anything with Lamar Jackson or Aaron Rodgers or, you know, any of these other guys, uh, it'll be interesting to see. So stay tuned for that. But as far as the headlines go, the Patriots were reportedly, allegedly, maybe, Shopping Mac Jones. So this came from Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio, uh, which honestly, large grain of salt in itself for that to be the case. But supposedly, Bill Belichick has shopped Mac Jones to multiple teams throughout the offseason, those teams being the Raiders, the Texans, the Bucks, and the Commanders. However, you've got multiple sources now coming out and saying that that's probably not the case. Andrew Callahan, who is a Patriots beat reporter for, I believe it's the Boston Herald, said... Checking with league sources today, I found no belief the Patriots will trade Mac Jones. One team source called the shopped report nonsense, and it struck others around the league as likely old news overstated. Jones was in the building and has been regularly. And then we've also got Mark Daniels from Mass Live saying the same thing, saying one NFL source said they hadn't heard anything about this, adding that's news to me. Uh, second source said the Patriots haven't contacted the Buccaneers about Jones, saying that his name has never come up. And a third source said the Patriots have not contacted the Raiders about a trade involving Jones either. And to me, um, the fact about Callahan saying that it's old news overstated makes a lot of sense when you bring the Raiders into this conversation, because there is no reason for them to sign Jimmy Garoppolo and then trade for Mac Jones. That is at this point, two of the same guy, one of them's just younger. You're not going to pay Jimmy that much money to be a backup just because Mac Jones would probably be the starter in that case. You're not going to do that. Uh, so it does make sense that, you know, Josh McDaniels with his obsession over former Patriots that maybe he would go after Mac Jones, but then he kind of pivoted because it fell through. To me, Pat, I, I'm i not taking this as being anything new, um, the Patriots shopping Mac Jones, but it is a little bit of where there's smoke, there's fire. I... It's obvious to me at this point that Mac Jones is not entrenched as a starter for the next few years. It's obvious that he's not their definite guy that they're going to give, you know, a couple years of leeway to. It just seems like maybe this year is kind of do or die for Mac. I mean, they may look at it like, hey, we got you a real offensive coordinator. Not that you should have ever been without one, but we got you a real offensive coordinator. We got you a couple of weapons here with Juju and Mike Kosicki added to the mix. Um, The offensive weapons are not 
A1, but they're not bad. And so it just seems to me like I fully expect Mac Jones to be the starter for the Patriots this upcoming season. But beyond that, I think it gets murky. Yeah, you know, I think we're still understating just how bad that offense was under Matt Patricia last season because we saw good things from Mac Jones two years ago under in a Josh McDaniels offense. And that was why at the beginning of the offseason, I thought Mac Jones would have been one of the more palatable fits for the Raiders. You know, I, like I've said I said a couple weeks ago, that Bill O'Brien's shown he's a good offensive coordinator, good offensive coach. I, I don't expect necessarily Mac Jones to be some kind of stud, but I, I think he will turn around considerably and, you know, maybe put out a little of this smoke going on. But it always seems like there's some kind of drama coming out of New England in the post-Tom, well, yeah. even at the end of the Tom Brady era and then the post-Tom Brady era. So I, I do think that there's there's smoke and there's fire here, and this is probably something that won't go away, but – uh, he'll be the starter in the Patriots next year, and then maybe we'll have this conversation next year with a bit more basis to it. Yeah, I, if there is a Bailey Zappi contingency out there that wants him to be the starter for the Patriots, I need you guys to relax. Uh, Bailey Zappi is not better than Mac Jones. Uh, it's just kind of another Mac Jones that went to a different school. Like, I feel like sometimes people fall into this, he's new, so he must be better. Like Whatever we have right now is not working. We, it's as hard as it is, we really just have to wipe this past season under the rug and let's see what we can do now with better weapons on offense, an offensive coordinator that's putting an effort and then evaluate from there. I personally, after seeing what Mac did his rookie year, I'm really optimistic for what he can do this year. And I think he can crack being sort of a top 12 quarterback statistically. It wouldn't surprise me in the least. Um, he was showing that sort of trajectory as a rookie and it wouldn't surprise me. You know, he got that upper echelon of quarterbacks and I think Mac Jones can fall, you know, one or two tiers behind that when, when it's all said and done. So he will be a Patriot this upcoming season. I'm not expecting to see Mac Jones in a freaking commander's uniform or a buccaneers get out of here with that the fact that all these people are coming out and saying dad. no mike florio yeah dad. the fact that all these people are coming out and saying mike florio is basically wrong uh yeah that's just about par for the course so yeah, 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 uh we, we can move on from there all right a weapon that has been sort of linked to the patriots and talked about a little bit deandre hopkins uh this i thought was interesting pat deandre hopkins reportedly could be released so they've been looking at potential trades for hopkins and i guess not finding anything worth doing uh because these teams don't want to pick up his contract and so ultimately the Cardinals, who are headed into, it seems, full speed ahead tank mode, uh, don't really see a need to have Hopkins on their roster. Look, if my analysis of contracts is correct, releasing Hopkins, they will still have to pay him, or, well, they have $22 million on their dead cap, which compared to paying $30 million for him sounds like you would just keep him, right? But if they are truly going against uh, competing this year, like they are just fully tanking, then yeah, I guess save $8 million and be worse. Um, but Pat, what do you expect this to turn into? I've seen a lot of teams speculated to be linked to Hopkins. You got the Chiefs, you got the Patriots, you got even the Bills. Uh, what do you think ends up happening in the Hopkins saga? Well, you see, the thing is, like you said, when you get this dead cap hit, and this guy is going to be dirt cheap mm -hmm. this year, you know, and he's probably, if he does get released, he's going to do what OBJ did and get out, do a one year prove it kind of deal. And that basically opens the door for every single team in the league. Um, Patriots have been the talk all year, but I don't know how well him and Bill O'Brien vibe. That's that's the yeah. only reason why I would probably say that's not going to happen. Uh, Kansas City would be scary, honestly, because, you know, Mahomes hasn't quite had a receiver like him, but he doesn't need one. You know, he's got his security blanket in Kelsey, and he likes the deep threats, but you give Mahomes a guy like Hopkins, granted, we haven't seen him play at a super high level the last couple of years in Arizona, but, um, but, um, 
Yeah, I, I just think that if that cheap, you could look at any team in the league. Where, where, where are you? Where are you vibing here for Hopkins? I, yeah, I you know I'm kind of going towards you on the Patriots thing. As much as it did seem like a nice fit for a while, and look, maybe he does just respect Belichick and wants to play for him. We know that, or at least we've seen that their relationship seems to be pretty good. Um, but him and Bill O'Brien may may not be the case. We don't really know where that stands because this happened so long ago. But I feel like the Chiefs are just such an obvious spot for him. It's like they. It's hard to say they need receivers because we've seen what Patrick Mahomes can do with literally anybody out there as long as he has Travis Kelsey, but I feel like they don't want to go into next season if they can help it with Kadarius Toney as their obvious number one. This guy is on, he's on IR constantly. Like it's, he's a exciting young player. I hope he can put together a fully healthy year because I think he will be very explosive and productive, but Hopkins is a guy... I say this about IR as if Hopkins hasn't been hurt too. But look, get more of those guys to compensate for. Hopefully they just fall on different different weeks and months where they're hurt. Um, Hopkins is a guy just to add a veteran to that receiving room and make the Chiefs that much more terrifying. If The rest of the league is going to be so angry if the Chiefs come out of this offseason with DeAndre Hopkins for cheap too. They're going to be like, how do you guys – What? screw you guys. Like – and I'm, I'm a big believer that Sky Moore stock is is skyrocketing. Yeah, you know, I agree. Intended, but I, I'm a big Sky Moore guy for this upcoming year. So, you know, they probably don't need Hopkins. I bet they can make it work with those two and Kelsey. But um, I think that's that's just the natural fit. But you, I could see teams like the Cowboys, the Rams, teams that have always kind of gone for a surplus of receivers dip back into this. Yeah, I could see that happening for sure. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where Hopkins ultimately ends up. If he does get released, to me, it seems odd that a team wouldn't at least make some kind of late-round trade at the very least for a draft pick just to get the edge. Like A team like the Patriots, why wouldn't you send you know, a sixth-round pick or something, fifth-round pick for DeAndre Hopkins just to make sure that he doesn't have the choice to go to a team like the Chiefs and screw you over? So we will see what happens with DeAndre Hopkins. But look... DeAndre Hopkins is currently an Arizona Cardinal, and the Cardinals are under some fire right now. Uh, Cardinals are being accused of cheating. Terry McDonough accusing owner Michael Bidwill of asking him to use a burner phone to contact their old GM, Steve Kime, while Kime was suspended. Um, Also accusing Bidwill of, it's described as gross misconduct, including cheating, discrimination, and harassment in an arbitration claim filed Tuesday by Terry McDonough. So, Pat, this is just another bad look for the Cardinals. Uh, It's kind of been like this for the last year or two. Look, this is in addition to, you remember the Kyler contract language where he had to study for a certain amount of time, and then you've got them extending Cliff Kingsbury only to fire him. Pat, this is... Right. And Pat, this might sound like hyperbole, but are the Cardinals the most poorly run organization in the NFL right now? I know the Cleveland Browns exist in general, but right now... They've at least got to be. I think that will always go to the Commanders, but the Cardinals have got to be up there as well. You know, you look at also the the funny thing that happened this year. Not this isn't funny at all, but their you know their offensive line coach Sean Googler being you know fired basically for sexual harassment. He claims this was mistaken identity. Well, who does who does he look exactly like? GM Steve Kime, who was on leave at the time. You know, not saying that's true. Probably isn't, but just like everything is it's more just like a mind fuck like that could actually have happened just more dysfunction and then even going back they did steve wilkes so dirty i mean that team was terrible mm-hmm. that year don't get me wrong but you know that's a guy who again showed in carolina he deserves to be a head coach i really hope he gets another shot that's that's a different story 
but you just look at all this stuff and then all the debacles with Kyler and it's it's just a it's just a mess in Arizona and they have a good amount of or at least in the last couple of years they've had a lot of talent there yeah and they've underperformed to a great extent to the point to the point where you know I remember a few weeks back uh we were talking on the podcast about who are going to be the worst teams in the NFL next year and the Cardinals were almost unanimously like going to be a bottom three team we projected and so I, I think they're definitely trending that way with the Hopkins thing and then now with these kind of I guess everything's off the field when you're talking about you know general manager issues and such but like these things happening higher up that just are pure dysfunction. Um, just to give some perspective on what exactly the situation is and what McDonough is claiming. So he said that McDonough is a former Cardinals executive. He said that both he and farmer, former Cardinals head coach Steve Wilkes were left with no choice but to follow Bidwill's plan to use burner phones to communicate with Arizona GM Steve Kime while Kime was serving a five-week suspension after pleading guilty to extreme DUI in Arizona. Um, he was then he then said that he was. Uh, reprimanded for insubordination when he refused to do this but he has the phones because he eventually did it it's just this kind of stuff doesn't come out if there's not something to it usually and you know it just speaks to a bad track record the cardinals have had um it's it's a rough time to be a cardinals fan right now there's not a lot to really look forward to it's like you look at teams when you are firmly rebuilding and cleaning house and fixing things that are wrong you have that kind of optimism right like that's kind of where chicago bears fans are right now that's where even carolina panthers fans are right now it's like they you can kind of see the vision the cardinals are not at that point yet like they need to get to the point where enough is enough everything boils over and they say all right we need to blow this up we need to rebuild and we need to get the toxicity out of the upper management as well so they need to head to that point before anything um but it's dark. It's dark right now for the Cardinals. It's not. It's not a great scene. So, um, I don't know. Just un, just unfortunate. I I hate to see that for a team that you know I was rooting for because they're, they're a fun team. Like that. That's a team that you want to see kind of take that next step in the NFC and be a new face, new name uh, as a contender. And it just hasn't transpired. And I think we're slowly starting to see more and more why that's happening. Um, another thing at the higher level of NFL management, John Elway is no longer with the Broncos. Contract expired. He said he wants more flexibility. He doesn't want to be directly involved on a day-to-day basis anymore, but he will uh, be there for you know consultation if they want to reach out. But in general, not going to be as much in the weeds. Pat, I think this was probably a necessary move. Uh, Elway, Obviously won a Super Bowl as a as a GM um, in the Peyton days, but other than the Peyton days, it's kind of just been whiff after whiff as far as constructing this team, and I think it's it's nice to have a fresh start. He hasn't been the acting GM since 2020, but he's still been in a, in a consulting role, um, and just things have, things have not gotten better. So I think it's, as much as he's a legend, appreciated, look, I'm in Denver, he is a, he is a goat here, um, and he's well appreciated by the team and everybody, but uh, it I think it was time. Yeah, you, besides them falling into Peyton Manning, it's just baffling how such a great quarterback can be such a terrible judge of quarterbacks, you know, giving Brock Osweiler that huge deal, drafting Paxton Lynch, who I yeah. argue is the biggest first round quarterback bust in the last 10 years. Yeah, at, le- at least an underrated one for sure. Because you think about it, you know, there's been some guys in the top 10. I'd say Josh Rosen's the other guy just because he went so high. But in terms mm. of actually being bad, like Paxton Lynch has to be the worst first round pick in terms of just talent. And then you look at Joe Flacco and Case Keenum. And just, and it's just been a disaster. And, you know, they conceivably have turned it around with Russell Wilson. Uh, not so much last year, but we'll see if he can get back, yeah. to, get back to what he used to be. 
So yeah, just it, this was this was completely necessary. I have always viewed this as more of just like a figurehead kind of deal anyway, than him actually being crucial and making decisions as as we said. Yeah, but either way, fresh slate for the Broncos, um, something that they desperately need all the way around. So we'll see if they can turn the Russell Wilson ship around at the very least. With Sean Payton, I am optimistic, but I also don't want to fall headfirst into believing too much in the Broncos again. Uh, I made that mistake once. I will not do it again. I'm also trying not to do it with the Jets, as I mentioned last week. Look, shiny new toys don't always equal success, as we've seen. There needs to be a level of organization uh, as well to go along with it. Um, All right. Another interesting NFL headline that I saw, and this one, look, this probably won't transpire this year or next year or whenever, uh, but the NFL is looking at expanding into a full Europe division. Four new teams could be coming to the NFL here in the next five, 10 years, whatever it is. Uh, this is crazy. I, this is not out of nowhere, though. I mean, we've seen the NFL try and go overseas more and more the last few years. The Jaguars have basically become London's unofficial squad, uh, despite the fact that, you know, now the Jaguars are actually getting really good. So they probably just, Jack, the city of Jacksonville's probably like, no, give us back our team. Uh, but the fact that they are trying to build an entire division out there is just a lot more than I thought we'd get. Apparently, logistically, it makes more sense. I mean, you've got the teams that can play each other out there rather than just adding this London team to the AFC East or the NFC East. Uh, But wow, I I mean, I can't even picture how adding four teams all at once would go. It just sounds like pure chaos. You you know, I, I get it. The fact, you know, these games they play in London and the games they've played in Berlin have been huge successes. There is clearly a market out there. Well, just logistically, like, can you imagine a a team going from London to Seattle? Yeah. Uh, Like, is it faster to go the other way around the globe at that point? Like, Like, (laughs) the closest team in the states to them would probably be the Bills, and that you're still looking at a six-hour plane ride from London to Buffalo, most likely. It just can't work without extra bye weeks, and then that would just be a a whole mess. But I'm sure they'd love to add another week too. But I think just kind of lean more into these games. You know, go through. Mm you know add a few more games do a weekly game in london if you want or in europe like that like why the hell not but if they want to expand which they will just there are other markets that just make more sense logistically go to mexico put a team in mexico city that would be that would be more fun with more of an international appeal that just makes more sense no it is it is a shocking just concept in general i mean i think Trying to picture 36 total NFL teams, first of all, just sounds like you're you're getting to a few too many teams. Uh, I don't know. I, I can't even really fathom how that would work. It's like, you know, obviously the, you have these methods for expansion and over time the teams would get competitive, but just, I don't know. As a guy who loves the NFL draft and follows it so heavily, trying to picture these four new teams, you know, being thrown in and getting top picks and stuff, it's, just, it's wild. Uh, we're probably a few years away, but just something to put on the radar because you know, from reading opinions of, of NFL executives and such, they, they seem to think it's inevitable. It's just a matter of how much time it takes, which is is crazy. So guys, we could be headed for, you know, maybe the London silly nannies expanding into the oh, NFL. Yeah. And uh, if we need new quarterbacks, Peter Griffin might be available. So who knows what uh, overseas football will hold here in the next few years, but I'm excited. Um, we talked about, you know, maybe making a weekly London game or something to that effect, but these Thursday night football games are a bigger issue. Uh, I feel like, I don't know what the NFL is thinking with potentially flex, having flex scheduling for Thursday night football games. Pat, what was your reaction when you heard that this was even on the table? You know, I didn't like the London idea. I like this one even less. It's just, you are, because now we're talking about player safety. 
that's been mm. the biggest thing for Thursday night football in general, why players have been against it so hard is that you're expecting them to turn around from a Sunday game and, you know, change their whole weekly routine to, um, you know, to be ready for Thursday. So a team playing Sunday thinking, oh, yeah, you know, we got a whole sin. And then they're like, LOL, jokes on you. You're playing Thursday like that. That just cannot work. You know, it's it's easy when you're talking the same day or going from Sunday to Monday, but Thursday it just cannot work. You, you got to deal with that. It just if they truly believe player safety is the most important thing, which I don't believe they think that, but it is, and they just they cannot do this, and it seems like they're not. Which good, they cannot do this. Yeah, I so apparently they were uh, two votes short of actually passing this. I guess the Panthers and the Broncos were, uh, you know, kind of big factors here. And if they change their mind, this is something that could, in theory, get approved at some point. But hopefully that just doesn't happen. I Thursday night football to me needs to be just removed altogether. Uh, as much as I love having football in the middle of the week, and it, it is, you know, a lot nicer than just two days a week being dedicated to it. It is so bad for the player's health, and I'm so tired of seeing it. Like, every player is like, it's just not enough rest. So regardless of, you know, trying to flex this to have better matchups, uh, I, I want Thursday Night Football gone all, all together. And obviously, that's not going to happen. We are trending literally the opposite direction. But that's just my that, that's just my thoughts on it. Uh, the one thing I will say is that the flex scheduling that they're proposing is not as crazy as you might think just by reading the headline. So it would be 15 days in advance you can change uh, a, a Thursday night football matchup and you can only do it from week 14 to week 17. So it's not like it would be happening all year. It's more so so I think you get Thursday night football matchups for playoff bound teams rather than being stuck with, you know, Texans Colts, Texans, Broncos, or Texans, Colts, Colts, Broncos, something like that on a Thursday night football game that just doesn't matter. I get it to that effect, but I'm firmly with um, John Mara from the Giants who said, can we please think about the people trying to go to these games? Like an NFL game is something that you plan weeks or months in advance, unless you're from the city that it's in. Even then you probably still plan it a little bit in advance. You have the flexibility to, you know, maybe do an impulse game, but in general, the fact that you can 15 days away from a game say, hey, we're putting it on Thursday instead of Sunday, like that's in the middle of the – like these yeah. people are planning for a weekend trip to go see a game. You need to keep the fans in mind. Like that's like just – for sure. Yeah, like it's just it's just rude quite frankly. Like is it is it going to be a major hit to the pockets? Probably not for the NFL, but like just for goodwill of the fans, don't do that. It's the same way in the NBA how fans get upset when, you know, guys are – load management you know they're like oh they save up all this money for one game of the year and Kawhi Leonard sitting out his 30th game of the year for no reason it's just it's the same deal where it's just like yeah that, that that's a that's a great point yeah I just don't think the NFL is thinking about fans at all when it comes to this like they think they are they're like oh we'll give you a better matchup on Thursday like guys real football fans just want players to be safe and for us to know like uh, to, to be able to plan things in advance if we're trying to go to these games. So just silly to me. It's, it's the one thing they're handling so they bad. Want, but it is for money. If this was not it's a 100%. venture, then they would not do it. They can no. say that it benefits the fans, but it is money first and always. 100%. And then the last thing I wanted to discuss is actually non-football related. Um, so big news coming out over the weekend. So I attended WrestleMania, as I mentioned. While I was there, news broke that the Endeavor Group is going to buy WWE as a whole and merge it with UFC to be one giant entertainment group. Uh, 
this was a shock to me. I want to give my thoughts on this because a lot of you guys know I'm a wrestling fan and just where I kind of stand with this. So the big problem with this to me is I don't follow UFC that much, but UFC fans are basically saying, look, ever since Endeavor bought this, uh, everything's gone to shit. Um, they bought WWE a couple days ago, and already there's been a gigantic shift in WWE. That We've had one episode of Monday Night Raw since it's happened. WrestleMania in general was a really good show. Booked really well, creatively enjoyed it a lot. Raw was god-awful, and come to find out it's because Vince McMahon is back in charge after being ousted about eight months ago because of sexual harassment allegations. Uh, he's back because Endeavor doesn't care about any sort of PR look as far as the owner goes because you got Vince, you got Dana White, exactly. It was kept in charge at UFC uh, despite, you know, many controversies that he's had. And it's just unfortunate. I personally am going to be, you know, less invested in WWE for as long as Vince McMahon is in charge. And that's kind of the biggest takeaway from this change in overall ownership. Um, Vince used to own it outright himself as a family. He's like, they're the ones that sold it to Endeavor, but they're they're saying basically, Vince, we want you as the face of it, and we're going to put you back in, you know, power of sort of the creative side of things. Vince is an 80 year old psychopath, out of touch moron who has no idea what fans want anymore and changes things on the fly. Nothing's cohesive. It's terrible. It's truly awful. And I am devastated by what has happened. I am, I do not want to see what is coming in the next few weeks. That's why I have to literally remove emotional investment from this product for now because it's just going to make me sad watching what happens i need i need to see vince go back out of power at some point but here's the thing he may just live forever in a man yeah you know, so I, I much, entering dark i don't have much to add about that but just that you know uh, not a fan of vince mcmahon not a fan of dana white no so just it's just it's never not only am i not interested in it from like a, a product standpoint i i don't mm. even have much interest in paying attention to these people yeah, no, and neither do I, and that's why Vince being off the radar for so long was awesome, and you know having uh, Triple H kind of running the creative side of things. Wrestling's been really fun for the last eight months. Even if storylines weren't great, um, they were at least consistent and cohesive, and, and things made sense. Uh, under Vince, things change at the drop of a hat, and he just kind of hopes you forgot about it from the week before. So it's unfortunate. Uh, as a wrestling fan, very disappointing, but all we can hope for is that something changes here eventually, but that's where I'm at with that. But this will be our actual sign-off, guys. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And we will see you guys next week. Adios. Thanks for watching.